Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you switch providers, nothing changes about the delivery of those utilities to your home or business. If you have an existing contract, you're going to want to find out the terms before leaving. If you don't, it's even easier to sign up for Park Power. You as the consumer have a choice of who you pay your bills to. Why not choose your friendly local utilities provider. Learn more right now at parkpower.ca. The Christmas season is upon us. Whether we like it or not. Yeah. Um, when this episode drops, it will be the beginning of December. So everybody will be getting little chocolates out of their calendars and queuing up their, their Christmas hards on the movie box. <laughs> Christmas hards on the movie box. Yeah. You you talk in new words? No, it, your Christmas movies and your diehards, your Christmas hards. <laughs> You'll note that I do make a distinction between the two. It's true. But I acknowledge that people watch Die Hard over Christmas. Look, for some people, your traditional quote-unquote Christmas movie doesn't do it for them. Die Hard happens to take place at Christmas time. And if someone wants to deem that a Christmas movie, I say power to them. Watch what you like. You know, I'm not... One to yuck another person's yum. Me neither. And Die Hard is an excellent movie. Die Hard is an excellent movie. Even if I don't consider it a particularly good Christmas movie. That's fine. (laughs) But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a discussion probably for a different podcast. Maybe even my movie podcast. Probably. Maybe ask your movie podcast this. How many Die Hards are there? Too many. No, seriously. How many Die Hards are there? Because at least six, two of them take place at Christmas. Six or seven at this juncture. And I think <laughs> Out of the 15 diehards. I think only two of them actually take place at Christmas. Okay. Because I have not seen all of the diehards. Nor should you. Objectively. No, don't. Don't do that to yourself. I've for sure seen the first two. The first one and the third one are generally considered to be the best. Is the third one the one with Samuel L. Jackson? Yes. Okay, then I've seen that one. And that one's pretty good. Yes. And I haven't seen anything after that. This is, um, of course, a, a book podcast. I know. We're wildly off topic. You brought <laughs> up Die Hard. Uh, as a joke, you got on a tangent about it. Well, I'm just wondering, if there are more Christmassy Die Hards than non, then maybe that sways the Die Hards more towards the Christmassy genre. No, definitely not. But I legit don't remember how many Die Hards there are right now, because <laughs> I stopped watching them after three. Rightly so. Okay. Yeah. You don't need to watch any more after that. The point is... I think, going way back to the beginning, is that Christmassy times are about to be upon us. Yes. Like crazy full swing. And what better time to cozy up with a book than when the snow is falling and the Christmas lights are twinkling? Maybe over by your Christmas tree with a mug of hot chocolate. Mm, get some marshmallows in there. Yeah. Get your fuzzy reading socks on. Now, um, you might be thinking that we, like lesser podcasts, will be taking a break over the holidays. But no. <laughs> Uh, there will be episodes out every Friday from here until the, the New Year. Even though one of those Fridays is Christmas Eve and one of those Fridays is New Year's Eve, there will be episodes as scheduled 
on those days. Please rest assured that we will not be recording on Christmas Eve. Oh, goodness. No. Or New Year's Eve. <laughs> we don't even record on the Fridays that these come out. So, yeah, every, it's okay. Everything's I mean, fine. Everything's fine. That's no secret. We've we've mentioned before we record several days ahead of the episode. Yeah. Dropping, but. To give Scott a little bit of time to edit. Yeah. And then. I mean, know. we're we're scheduled around kids, so. Yeah, the more the more time we have to do things, the better. Yeah. Yeah. But we've preambled quite a bit. Sorry. Because I suspect this is going to be a bit of a shorter episode anyway. Yeah, the, maybe. The chapter was not terribly long and was pretty concise, actually. So, uh, But before we get into that, we should have a brief recap of our previous chapter, uh, in which we learn a little bit more about how the mechanical sausage is made. <laughs> as Jebby gets into their new role with the Ministry of Armor, and in doing so, number one, gets to spend a lot of time with their new crush, their boss, and number two, discovers sabotage. <gasps> sabotage. And we'll find out if that leads to anything as we move into chapter six of Phoenix Extravagant by Yoon Ha Lee. Mechanical Sausage would be a terrible name for a band. Or possibly an amazing name for a band? I can't decide. Spoiler alert, nothing comes of the sabotage at this time. <laughs> at this time? At this time. Be fair. Weeks actually pass, and Jebby is as surprised as possibly we are as readers that nothing seems to be coming of this. But at the same time, I'm not super surprised by that. Number one, because the ministry would want to save face by not making a big deal out of it. Mm -hmm. Because this is a very honor-bound system. They literally have a duelist on retainer to protect the integrity of the reputation of the ministry. Yeah. And number two, you're dealing with a massive bureaucracy. So there's going to be like a massive internal investigation that's probably going to take months to complete. I was going to say, really, all that Jebby has come up with is some scant evidence yeah, and not the whole story, which is really what they're trying to find out, one would assume. So there's probably investigations going on elsewhere. Yes. Yeah. Or cover-ups, one or the other. That Jebby's not privy to. Why would they be? Precisely. With nothing forthcoming about the sabotage that Asemi appears to have been engaged in, Jebby continues basically to do their work, passing by the days and having recurring nightmares. Yeah. Uh, apparently there's this old legend about uh, the dragon queen beneath the sea, like plucking interesting humans from their lives and taking them down beneath the waves. And then to them, they'll be there for a few days, but then they'll return to the world and hundreds of years have passed. Uh, that's actually a, a fairly common, uh, somewhat common trope. In fairy tales and folk tales oh, around sure. the world. Yeah. I've read lots of tales about someone being whisked away and then time has no meaning anymore. Well, because time has a different meaning in the realm of the fae. Yeah. But because Jebby is living with a dragon, this folk tale is kind of like front of mind. <laughs> so every now and then they have to like go back upstairs and take in the season and remind themselves that no, only, only like a month has passed. <laughs> oh, right. Sunshine. Fresh air. Right. I mean, I used to work night shifts at a retailer who no longer exists, and they were soul crushing. And it was because even just doing the night shifts, time ceased to have meaning. <laughs> you didn't see daylight anymore, especially during the darker parts of the, the year. Like right now in winter, here in Canada at the very least, we have very little daylight. Nights yes. get much longer this far north. And so, like... There would be days where I would not see the sun, and it, they just started to blur together. It was real depressing. I bet. So I can only imagine what it's like being mostly underground, under artificial light 
all the time. All the time? Yeah. yeah. All the time would be harsh. Well, with days turning into weeks here, Jebby finally gets impatient about what's going on with this evidence that they dredged up about Asemi's ill deeds working on Arazi. And they finally just kind of ask Vey directly, what's going on with that? Yeah, against their better judgment, they give in to this curiosity and start probing a little. Vey does not have a straight answer. Further to that, Jebby kind of gleans that Vey is distracted maybe even a little bit nervous about something. And Vey reveals, listen, this is not the best time to ask me this because I'm actually getting ready for a duel tomorrow. <laughs> I actually have to do a my job. Yeah, I have to do a murder tomorrow. So... <laughs> this is a job murder. <laughs> job murder. This is a job murder. That's probably the title of this episode right there. <laughs> Look, Vey's job, Vey's title, Vey's primary function is to defend the honor of the Ministry of Armor. With murder. With murder. Yeah. Because that's what happens in a duel sometimes. Sometimes. If it is a duel to the death. So Vey is kind of warning Jebby about this because she's obviously going to be gone tomorrow for the duel. But uh, also, hopefully she will be back after that. Right? Hopefully. Because this is explicitly a duel to the death. Yeah, no Over guarantees. some slight of some kind, presumably. Uh, it's certainly never expressly stated what the duel is about in this chapter, at the very least. We may learn moving forward. But uh, it is strongly implied to be professional. Yeah. Like, Vey has been called upon by the ministry to, to, have, duel. to have duel. Yes. Um, to go and make duel. Yeah, this is not a personal thing. This is a professional thing. That's that's certainly the implication. Here. Yes. The reason Vey wanted to tell Jebby this is so that Jebby didn't wonder what was going on. But Jebby thinks that there's like a little, maybe almost slip of the tongue there where Vey was going to say worry about what's going on. Right? Jebby might be reading into it because, again, Jebby's crushing hard on Vey right now. You want to know what I titled my notes for this chapter? Sure. Crushing feels. There you go. But Jebby's also still really torn about this and is constantly reminding themselves, Vey is a trained killer who is explicitly here to keep me in line. Yeah. And will kill me if I screw up. Yes. So this attraction is a terrible idea. And just making things harder. But one does not control one's heart. Things are about to get real weird. Yeah. There actually is a moment here where a romantic overture might have been appropriate. Right? There was this, like, really sweet, tender moment between the two of them. Yeah, they they have a moment, but Jebby hesitates and ruins it. Well, yeah. Because the moment passes. But still, they offer Vey one of their good luck charms as kind of a sign of friendship, if nothing else. And Vey does accept it. And there's, there's like, a passing touch Yeah, that Jebby's like, oh, that was... Basically sex. It was super sweet. Yeah. So unable to sleep, partly because of the physical contact that's now just like front of mind, (laughs) Jebby decides to head into town for some, as they put it, frolicking. But this is actually an excuse. They don't actually go frolicking to blow <laughs> off some steam. Instead, they're they're looking to go see the duel. There are a lot of air quotes happening yeah. in this conversation. It's, certainly, they don't go see a prostitute in this chapter. Oh, goodness. So the assumption is, at least my assumption was, that this was them making an excuse to go and see the duel. Mm-hmm. Without letting on to all the guards, I want to go see the duel. But they have to let in at least one guard because they are assigned a chaperone, Zakan. Yes. 
after making the appropriate bribes in order to be let out to <laughs> go I, and see the duel. What I wrote down to remind myself about this little transaction was bribe some guards, obtain a zakan. Yeah. Zakan and Jebby head to the dueling grounds and Jebby throws around some of their ample and apparently somewhat unnecessary pay. <laughs> They've got all this money, but they're largely provided for. Like they have food, they have yeah. board, they're being supplied supplies. So the stuff they would normally be spending their money on, they're, they're just sitting on it. Yeah. So they are unusually flush Yeah, right and, now. and so they kind of just throw around a little wealth to get like a nice balcony view of the dueling grounds. And this turns out to be a bit of a, a double-edged sword, no pun intended, because the host at this uh, balcony. this Okay, so this lady who has rented out her balcony for a duel. Yeah, super in love with the other duelist, a guy by the name of Chuora Kiovin who apparently is a big deal. Oh, yes. Like handsome, chiseled jaw. like Screaming fangirls. Screaming f- and fanboys. He is the cat's pajamas, and he is heavily favored to win. And this lady loves him and has nothing but disparaging things to say about his lowly half-breed opponent. Ugh. And this is where we actually learn a little bit of hot goss about Vey. But is it true? I think so. You think? Jebby comes to understand that Vey is not well regarded in the dueling fan base, partly because she is half Huagugan. Apparently her dad is this big famous Razani swordsman, mm-hmm. and he fell in love with a local, and they had this daughter, who is now a skilled duelist in her own right, but because of her parentage, her mm. mixed parentage, not considered well regarded. The reason I believe that is because a few chapters ago, when Jebby first met Vey, they couldn't place Vey's accent, accent or ethnicity. Yeah, Vey has this kind of exotic look to her mm-hmm. that Jebby couldn't place, and now we can see that that's because she's half Wagugan, yeah, and half, half Razani, and so that would explain why Jebby was having trouble placing where she's from. Mm-hmm. So that tracks to me. It does. It it, yeah. it tracks for sure. And of course, Jebby, it, to Jebby, it probably wouldn't dawn on them. Oh, it's because you're of mixed parentage. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. That part tracks. The part that I question is whether or not they and Chuora uh, were lovers. That is the other piece of hot goss. Yeah. That the two of them used to be a thing and had a falling out at some point. Yeah. And that this fight was essentially inevitable. At some point it was going to happen. Yeah. Because apparently when duelists fall out of love, one of them ends up on the ground bleeding out. Right? <laughs> so I... but I, I don't understand the intricacies of the Razani Empire. I don't know... I don't know how true that is. If I can't have you, my blade will. <laughs> <laughs> how How horrible and romantic. We actually don't Again, find out what Vey and Chuora Kiovin are dueling over. No, and I really want to know. I think that's probably important. Yeah. What we do know is that when Jebby tries to press a little more to find out what they're dueling over, they tip their hand a bit too much and offend their host and end up kind of beating a retreat down to the ground level. Well, okay. Which Zakan is upset about, because Zakan was like, we had a great view. What are you doing? Yeah, she was giving us tea and cookies. <laughs> now we're down here, elbow to elbow with a bunch of plebes. And it's cold. It is. It's the winter. Yeah. It's because Jebby is not good at blending in. No, not really. Right? Like, Jebby has learned to hold their tongue, kind of, but then sits down and does this almost grotesque caricature. Well, 
Jebby can't help themselves as an artist, number one. And number two, Jebby's not very streetwise. No. Because Jebby's been very sheltered, and that really hasn't changed much. It's really coming to light how bad Jebby is with people. Down on the ground level, Jebby and Zakan find a new vantage. And uh, this is when Vey finally arrives. A little fashionably late to the duel. And Jebby has an opportunity to see Vey for the first time in her dueling regalia. First of all, it stands out because it's red and blue, which are the kind of like national colors of Hwaguk. Yes. So a bit scandalous, but possibly related to the mixed parentage thing. Yep. Number two, apparently the duelist who killed Gia years ago during the war mm-hmm. was a duelist who wore red and blue. Right? And Jebby's like, oh, <gasps> no. Okay. So you and I briefly touched on this uh, the other day off microphone. And I think we should go back to it. Just because Jebby recognizes the costume of the famous, quote unquote, famous duelist that cut down their sister-in-law, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean it was they. We don't know if anybody else wears red and blue. Yeah. We don't know if color. anyone else would wear a similar dueling costume. It's also possible that Vey is wearing a similar costume to her famous duelist father. Right. Who might also wear red and blue. Right. So I think that maybe Jebby is jumping to a conclusion. Either way, this is bad. Yeah. This is so bad. Yeah, it definitely complicates matters, especially if they, the woman Jebby is falling for, is the person who killed Jebby's sister-in-law. Right? Yeah. There's an old improv rule that I think of when looking at stories like this. And uh, kudos to to our good friend Randy Brzozowski, because he's the one who actually brought it up for the first time, mm-hmm. to my recollection. And, and reminds everybody about it every time we play improv games. Yeah. Spoiler alert, we both were involved in an improv troupe for a while. But um, the, the point is, the argument is, stories are interesting if there's danger. And so whenever you're on stage and you're being prompted to do something... The dangerous choice is always the best yeah, choice. make it personal, make it dangerous. And this is both personal and dangerous. Right? Yeah. So this is this is a good, interesting twist. This yeah. is a good turn. My hope is that, honestly, it's true, and Vey is the person who killed Gia, because let's, that is the more interesting and dangerous choice. Let's be honest. It probably is. Yeah. I'm just saying it might not be. It could be Jebby jumping to conclusions. Yes. It depends Which would, on... If nothing else, that would be a thing that would complicate their relationship with Vey. Oh, for sure. Even if it turns out to not be true. Right. It depends on whether or not we want to redeem Vey or not. And well, when I say we, I mean the author, because that's who's in charge of the story. Right? So if we make these assumptions about Vey, oh no, Vey is terrible. Vey killed Jebby's sister-in-law. Well, now we don't like Vey anymore, even though Jebby has feelings for her. <gasps> but then later, if we, if we want to redeem Vey and be like, no, 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 it wasn't well, actually Vey. Here's the thing. Vey is a complicated person because people are complicated. Absolutely. Number two, as previously stated in this chapter, Vey is, spoiler alert, about to kill a man for entirely professional reasons. Yes. And it is very likely that even if Vey is indeed the duelist who killed Gia, that was Tuesday for Vey. Yep. That was just another person. Yes. In a long line of people they have killed as a professional killer. Yeah. It was not personal. Nope. It meant nothing. Right. And that is devastating for someone like Bong Sunga, for whom their life was just trampled and the their love was just killed. But for Vey, again, that's Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. Things things that not only are personal, they are now dangerous. Yes. 
They're also dangerous for Master Chuora here because the duel is over in an instant. Happens so fast, Jebby can barely register it. Which I think is how most duels go. Well, it's an Iejutsu duel, basically. Yeah. So single, like, draw your sword, single strike, someone's dead. Winner lives. It's it's the classic high noon gunfighter, like, yeah. fastest draw wins the yeah. wins the day sort of thing. Except in this case, with swords. It's, it's samurai fiction all over the place. There's snow falling, <laughs> blood across the the fresh fallen snow. Right. Like it's it's classic samurai fiction. <laughs> Except that there's a crowd of people there this time. I mean, there's often crowds of people to watch a samurai duel too. Mm, Sometimes not. Sometimes yes. Sometimes not. But uh, yeah, um, Chuora is cleaved practically in twain. And the crowd is very sad to see him go down. And Jebby is simultaneously relieved and dismayed that Vey won. Yeah. Because in the back of their mind, they're like, things would have just gotten much easier for me if Vey had been killed right there. But I'm also very relieved that this woman who I am growing attracted to is is not dead. Yeah. 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 Except also, this person killed my sister-in-law. And now they're still here. And now I have to grapple with that. <laughs> and now yeah. I have to deal with that. And I wouldn't have had to deal with it if they had just been cut down. Yeah. But uh, Jebby does indeed have to deal with it and likely will as we move into chapter seven of our novel. Yeah. Because that's where we end off. In the in the movie in my mind, this chapter is gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Presenting a duelist, right? Like, Vey just shows up just resplendent in her gear. Right? Everything very pretty. Gentle very dramatic. Snow. Right? Yep. It would, oh, it's, the production design in my head is fantastic. And I love it. Uh, a little side note. Um, about the Not about the story, but about the writing of the book. Sure. Yunha Lee has this marvelous and profound use of contradiction. And I, I see little examples of it every so often. And I adore it. Brilliant. I love it to pieces. Um, I touched on it earlier when uh, when they described the paperwork as a small infinity, mm-hmm. right? How they had to fill out a small infinity of paperwork. There was another one in this chapter, the simple complexity of sex. I love that. It is, it is so specific because it's a contradiction that you know exactly what they're talking about. And I think it's beautiful wordplay. And I love it, and I just wanted to give it a shout out. There you go. Carry on. (laughs) Well, perhaps we'll get a little bit more of that delightful wordplay, as I say, as we move into the next chapter. You'll want to read up on that in time for next week. Yes. And in the meantime, you know, one organization that definitely won't get into a duel of honor with someone else. (laughs) Nope. Don't like that. Anyway, here's a drop drop for the Well Endowed Podcast in the Edmonton (laughs) Community Foundation. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. I'm Andrew Paul. And we're the hosts of The Well-Endowed Podcast. The Well-Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well-Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out the wellendowedpodcast.com. <laughs> this is 
sorry. Someone from the Well Endowed podcast just approaches you with a levered glove and just slaps you across the face. Look, Andrew Paul is a very nice man. <laughs> I doubt he will ever demand satisfaction. Uh, uh, I hope not, but the idea of it just amuses me a great deal <laughs> because it's very silly. Anyway, you can uh, find out more about the Well Endowed podcast and all of our sponsors uh, right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. While you're there, you'll find a delightful panoply of podcasts for your perusal. Say that five times fast. Uh, You can download the most likely on the podcatcher of choice for you, which is also probably where you're downloading our podcast. One would assume. You can give us a little rating and review. We'd like that. Be real nice. You can reach out to us on social media. Absolutely. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. Yes. We are at The Read Along on most of those. Pretty easy to find. Yeah, we're also TheReadalong at gmail.com. Yes. If you would like to send us an email. Absolutely. Send us an email. Why not? And with that said, as always, we love you very much. We'll see you next time. We'll see what happens in the aftermath of a duel. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. Goodreads.com.